This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. AI system, they're often portrayed to be these bots that are ready to take over the world, but really they are here to make us a lot more productive and also help us do the daily tasks that we're doing much more efficiently, essentially. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm excited to bring you today's guest. And when you first hear what she is doing and what she's about and the book she wrote, you might say, wait a minute, what is this doing on a show about human-centered leadership? But wait for it. It's going to make sense. Our guest today is Kavita Ganansen, PhD, and she is the founder of Open Gnosis Analytics, an AI advisory and consulting company. So yes, that's artificial intelligence advisory and consulting company where she's worked with Fortune 500 companies to help them get results with AI. And she's the author of the book we're talking about today, The Business Case for AI, A Leader's Guide to AI Strategies, Best Practices, and Real-World Applications. Kavita, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. David, thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. I'm, As I said, I'm very uh, excited and interested to get into this discussion. Uh, when I first came across your book, I was so intrigued and uh, and had a little debate with myself uh, because it might seem strange to have an expert on artificial intelligence as a guest on a show about human-centered leadership. And yet I think there's a really important discussion that we can have about these intersections mm-hmm. and and how do we help people do what they do best and then computers to do the work that they're best suited to. So I really do appreciate you being here. Thank you. All right. So we're going to get into all that discussion, uh, but before we do, uh, Kavita, can I ask you to take us back uh, to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? Anywhere in life you'd like to take us? Yes. Um, so I started off with a very uh, small company as a software engineer, and there... There were just a few of us as uh, software developers, and I naturally became the leader even without being without being appointed. So I was kind of uh, paving the pathway for the projects, and then I realized, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this leadership thing, <laughs> um, especially on the project management side and getting projects delivered on time. Mm. So I think that was my early start on when I realized, hey, I, I can do this leadership thing. So it was that awareness that you were both bringing the group together in order to get things done, but also I, I, I heard about paving the path that you were getting out in front and making it possible for the group to be able to do its work. Yes. Yeah. Like getting feedback, proactively getting feedback from customers and then trying to integrate that back into the roadmap for development, which my team was not really interested in it, but I felt that was important. So it kind of organically 
fell into place, the whole leadership and project management side. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And as you're, as you're talking about just that, even that example of, you know, getting out and getting feedback from customers and being able to integrate it into your projects, uh, that type of leadership and that type of listening is very core to some of the applications for artificial intelligence, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. AI, um, to be successful with AI, it's very important to co-develop solutions instead of trying to develop solutions in a vacuum because it, you require a lot of domain expertise in order to make these AI systems actually work. And that's one of the mistakes companies often make is they try to assume what clients want and develop mm -hmm. things in a vacuum. And, and that just doesn't deliver. You have to have the domain expert in the loop. So not assuming what, what clients or customers or different people want, but taking the time to listen and to do that discovery work. And then as businesses, we can certainly use artificial intelligence to even become better listeners if we do it well. So I know we'll get into all that, but let, let's pull back up to the, the treetop level. Why should human-centered leaders care about artificial intelligence? Uh, we have listeners, some of whom will have great experience with business in, in, uh, intelligence and analytics and others who might not have any exposure, at least they don't think they have any exposure to AI. Why should human-centered leaders care? Well, AI systems, like they're often portrayed to be these um, bots that are ready to take over the world, but really they are here to make us a lot more productive and also help us do the daily tasks that we're doing much more uh, efficiently, essentially. So let's take the task of um, trying to predict of fraudulent transactions uh, in credit card, credit card fraudulent transactions. So if you were to hire a team to do this manually, they'll have to look at each and every transaction on a case-by-case -case basis. And you can't just... Um, Render a random decision whether the transaction is fraudulent or not. You'll have to look at 100 different data points to determine if a transaction is fraudulent. So this is a complex decision-making process, which requires a human. But if you can have an AI system flag um, the transactions automatically as fraudulent or not, this immediately cuts down your workload. So instead of reviewing millions of uh, transactions, you'll be just reviewing a fraction of it, maybe just to validate if a flag transaction is in fact fraudulent. So it really makes us more efficient. So it, it can become our best friend instead of um, taking over the human race, really. So ideally, our artificial intelligence AI is going to help us to be more efficient, more effective, and I'm curious, well, let's step back. Even what are we talking about with artificial intelligence? And you, you, in the book, you define it, but help our listeners when you're discussing artificial intelligence, what exactly is that? Because you're right. When I think of AI, you know, we've had in the news lately, people are like, is this bot at Google sentient or not? And exactly. <laughs> you, pr you probably have an opinion on that, but yeah. uh, you know, what is AI? What are we talking about? Yeah, that's a common source of confusion. People just assume that AI is a walking bot, but it really isn't. AI is software automation. It's not hardware, it's software automation. 
And it's a special kind of software automation which tries to mimic human-like decision-making, thinking, and behaviors. And AI is not one specific thing. It's a coming together of different sub-areas of study. So for example, you have AI systems that understand human language and correspond with humans like as humans would do with each other, like chatbots. These are called natural language processing applications. It's a type of AI application. So we're talking about Siri or Alexa or exactly. those kinds of things. All of those under the hood use NLP, natural language processing. Then you have AI systems that can see images, that can see video frames. These are computer vision applications. So for example, self-driving cars use computer vision in order to see objects and sense uh, obstacles on the road. So just like that, there are different areas of study that come together to solve specific business problems. And you may not need all of it at one time, you may need a few of it working together to solve a problem. So, so it's not one bot, it's a few different sub areas and it's purely software automation. Unless we put it in a walking machine and then that's a whole different ballgame. That's a whole different ballgame, yes. <laughs> All right, well, so we're going to stick to the software for, for this conversation. We'll leave the robots for, for some other day. Mm -hmm. All right, so if that's what artificial intelligence is and it's the software that helps with decision-making and processing and analytics and um, and all of those different elements or can parse language and, and or find um, patterns in, in information. And you used a word, you said it mimics human thinking, decision-making mm -hmm. processing, yeah. which I think I speak on behalf of many humans. And I know that you ha address this in the book of that produces some anxiety for a lot of people. Like, well, goodness, the machines are coming for our jobs and, and they have been for many, many years. Uh, and we continue to see that anything that can be automated will be. And that includes a lot of the analysis that, that people have traditionally done. So um, first question is, what about this fear that artificial intelligence is coming for our jobs and that eventually we're just not going to have, where am I going to get work if I can't do the thinking because the machine can do it better? Yeah, so what we need to understand is that AI systems today are very task-driven. So if you teach uh, an algorithm to complete a specific task, it's going to do that extremely accurately, even more accurately than humans. But it doesn't have the common sense reasoning and abstract thinking that humans have. So if it fails on a particular task, it's not going to know how to resolve that issue. That's where humans come in. And we need to help the AI system resolve the issues that the AI system cannot resolve. Um, so we become the supervisors of these systems. We become the data generators for these systems. We still need to be very much in the loop in order for these AI systems to be effective. Because these systems don't work in a vacuum, they work with humans. So we need to be able to make them think like humans and that's where we come in to handle all the rest of the work that the AI system cannot handle. So in addition to handling some of the errors and exceptions and, and mm -hmm. uh, when you said, like you said, failures or things that come up, what are some of the, the types of tasks that 
other types of tasks that you feel that human beings are better suited for than AI, at least in the next five years? I mean, obviously the technology continues to evolve. Um, when we talk about the human element, where should we best be deploying our people as opposed to saving the other work for machines? So I think um, a lot of customer facing jobs still should still be um, offloaded to humans so that you have the human touch instead of having a human interact with another human. Why not? I mean, instead of having a, a bot interact with a human, why not have a human interact with a human so it feels more natural? However, that human can be made a lot more productive by having AI in the loop to make the person's tasks um, a lot more manageable. So I think that's where we excel, interaction um, and also supervisory teaching. Those kind of areas is where we really still need humans. I'm wondering uh, about application as you're talking. I'm thinking of, you know, as we call customer service lines and we get those AI-powered uh chat trees that drive all of us crazy you know yes. say it speak it hit your button and it's just after a certain point it's like just let me talk to a human being but your point and i think it's true is and i know that there are systems like this that um it, you, let me talk to a human being but there can be an artificial intelligence maybe a natural language processor that's mm -hmm. on the line with that human being processing what's being said, gathering that and producing and giving the, the human I'm talking to the resources to be able to interact with me more rapidly. More rapidly, yes. Yeah, and calling multiple departments to find out the person you should be talking to. Initially, you could be talking to an AI system that takes in your request and then forwards your request to the correct person you should be speaking with. So that's a lot more efficient than being routed from person to person to person. And that actually the whole customer experience actually improves with AI in the loop. So the, you're not really conversing with the AI, you're just giving initial feedback on who you need to be talking to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so one of the myths about artificial intelligence is that we'll all lose our jobs. Clearly that's not the case. So the systems need the people right alongside. People need people. And then there is the, the creative uh, uh, type of work in the abstract thinking that you were mentioning that people are uniquely capable of, at least at this point in time, and that we really want to leverage that. So some other myths that you address in the book uh, that I think are really important for anyone who's either working with AI, AI relying on it, or thinking about implementing it. Um, you talk about the myth that artificial intelligence is super accurate, that it's like 99.99% accurate. We default to think about it that way, but it's you say that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Yeah. So a lot of leaders I uh, speak with about AI, they think that AI systems are like bulletproof. They are not. They're just like humans. They make mistakes. So maybe they make fewer mistakes, but they still make mistakes. An AI system always has a certain accuracy attached to it. So if, it, if it's 95% accurate, it'll make mistakes 5% of the time. And that's on data with which it's familiar. And if you start throwing at it new data points that, that it's never seen before, then it's going to make a lot more mistakes. So mistakes should be expected. But as a leader, what you should be concerned about is the um, side effects of those mistakes. 
So if an AI system makes mistakes, what are the uh, effects of it? Is somebody going to die? Is somebody going to fail to get a loan? So you need to have a good understanding of the impact. And only then you can decide how you want to deploy these AI systems. Maybe not as a sole decision maker because somebody could die. So maybe you want to put a human in the loop um, in that scenario um, so that they are there as a quality assurance layer. And in some cases, the mistakes are so um, harmless that it's fine that AI systems make mistakes like in your Gmail spam classifier. So what if it forgets to mark certain emails as spam? It's not going to really impact the person. It just messes with your user experience. So the mistakes that AI systems make should inform how you're going to use AI. So being aware that it is not 100% accurate, 100%, that we, yeah. we need to understand that there are those um, percentage inaccuracies and, and that we're ready to deal with that and understand the, the ramification, the consequences of those, and then manage it as, mm. uh, accordingly. You know, one of the um, elements that you address, and I think this one is so vital for all of us, and we've seen a few things coming out in the news uh, lately about mm -hmm some of these is that computer algorithms, and again, this is a myth that, that you bust, is that these computer algorithms are less biased than human beings. Because I know that in my mind, when I'm thinking of, okay, I'm going to have an algorithm, I'm going to have a computer do this. Gosh, finally, I can get all the human bias out of it. It's just going to be pure data. We're going to figure this out in an objective way. And once again, that's just not true, is it? It's not true. That's because AI systems today learn from data and large amounts of data. So if there's bias encoded in data because of historical reasons, then the system is learning to be biased just like humans. And this was actually um, in the news that a recruiting tool used by a tech company started dismissing women because it learned that women were, men were preferred in the tech industry. So it started dismissing women candidates. Mm. And that's because the data showed that men were preferred and women were not preferred. And that's due to historical reasons. And this is a very common problem and it happens a lot with like uh, facial recognition systems. So because the data itself is not representative of all groups. So if you have a lot of uh, white male sub in the data, then that's all that it's going to learn to predict. It's not going to understand women, small children, and yeah. We, so had, a, we had a guest on recently uh, uh, who was talking about this. Uh, he's black and how the sensors in hand washers, the automatic hand washers often don't mm -hmm. recognize a black person's hands. And historically that's been a problem. And that once you put that technology into, as you were saying, the visual recognition for like self-driving cars or things, now you've got a real problem on your hands uh, yes. that, that can come around from the bias here. So what do we do about that? If there's bias in data and the, the AI is learning to mimic human thinking, well, human thinking has some problems. So how do we do better? Yeah, so, so the responsibility is not just on the developers, it's also on the leaders. So we need to be careful of the data sources that we are using. 
So if we know that a data source from a particular area could potentially be biased. So we want to make sure that the we understand the data. Like we need to sample the data to see what's the distribution. Are there only just white male subjects or do we have sufficient representation? So understanding the potential biases in data will help us figure out how we can address those biases. And also in developing the models, we can eliminate specific attributes, like maybe you want to eliminate race, gender. So you can eliminate specific things during development. So it's both in how you source your data, how you design the algorithms, because your conscious biases or unconscious biases can also be integrated into these systems? And how are you going to address these potential biases? And then you'll know what to look for in data. And once the models develop, evaluation is extremely critical. So you want to have a separate team that just really tries to break the model and test it in different ways to ensure that it's not propagating uh, any potential biases. And that's where that, again, the human experience of and getting the diversity of perspectives, experiences, ways of interacting, depending on what the system is, all of those elements are so important to test. Yeah. All right. One more, you addressed some others too, but one more I wanted to call out that I think was uh, an interesting one is this uh, myth that sophistication is always superior. So you're saying, no, sophistication is not always superior. Not and, always superior, yeah. And, and sometimes this can be me. I can, I can make this mistake. If it's more sophisticated, it's definitely better. Why is that not always true? So AI systems is not like your latest iPhone where the greatest is the best. Um, the techniques itself have actually been very old, old techniques. Like neural networks is a technique that has been researched from the 19. 40s, 1950s, and only since 2011 uh, that these techniques really took off because of the availability of computation power. The techniques need to fit the problem. So the, and the techniques keep evolving daily as we have more and more computation, the techniques keep evolving. Like OpenAI has this GPT-3 model, Google has this new BERT models. So it keeps evolving every day, but it, not, it may not fit your specific use case. So if you're solving a computer vision problem, what Google is putting out is an NLP model, which is not relevant to computer vision. So the techniques have to fit the bill and it has to solve your business problem. If it's not solving your business problem, then there, is, there isn't a point of using a sophisticated technique. And also these, um, more sophisticated techniques are harder to deploy. They're often more expensive and a lot more expensive than the more traditional uh, approaches. So that's why you shouldn't focus on sophistication. You should focus on um, whether the problem is being solved. And that's what's going to move the needle for your business, not the techniques. So don't get yeah. sucked in. Don't get sucked into the bells and whistles. Focus yeah. on the right tool to solve the right, right business pro problem. Yeah. 
So we're talking with Kavita Ganesan, PhD, the author of The Business Case for AI, A Leader's Guide for Artificial Intelligence Strategies, Best Practices, and Real-World Applications. And uh, and uh, Kavita, we've been discussing myths and some of the, the misconceptions around AI and, and debunking those. Let's shift our focus to those business problems that you were just referencing, that the opportunities that AI has for us. And so when when we're thinking about how artificial intelligence can improve our business processes and decision-making, uh, you, you list out and give us several different kinds of examples in the book, but I wonder if you might talk about some of these, and then I'd like to maybe explore some examples of where we can be thinking about using it to its best effect. Sure. Um, so there are two general areas where I think AI is very effective in business. One is in optimizing decision-making, and the other is in improving the efficiency of business processes. So, and for optimizing decision-making, the reason why AI is helpful is that a lot of the data that we have within a business is often unstructured. So for example, you have lots of documents sitting around in comp company service, and now we use a lot of cloud tools. So there's a lot of data within cloud applications. Then you have your search logs, you have your social media comments. All of this data is either text data that's unstructured or images and videos. So you can't just easily uh, do a database query and set up a dashboard around this data. That's where you need a layer of AI in the loop. So what AI is gonna do is it's going to help you digest all this data, like maybe summarize the data, extract themes from this data, uh, maybe even augment the data and label it in a certain way so you can analyze it. Um, and then you can set up a dashboard around the AI's um, um, analysis. So let me give you an example. So let's say you want to know what, um, the company wants to know what people think uh, about the brand. So you wanna look, you leverage all of your social media comments to understand that. So you can't easily do that using um, a database query. So that's when AI comes into play, specifically NLP, natural language processing. So what NLP can do is it can summarize the themes. What are people mostly complaining about? What are they praising your company about? Uh, what do they like? What do they not like? Um, and maybe, uh, what's their wish list, like top wish list um, about your products and services. So once you can extract all of that, then you can execute a database query and then analyze this data and make business decisions. So that's where, so that's why you need AI and NLP in the loop. And it's the, you know, getting really practical as an mm -hmm. example, you know, I, I was uh, hiking the other day uh, Camelback Mountain in Phoenix. I was at a conference and I, that morning I went for a hike and, uh, and I use the iPhone. So I tell Siri, uh, skip this song. Uh, when I don't want to hear a song, say, skip this song. And it plays the next one for me. Fantastic. Well, I'm hiking along and somebody next to me says, Siri, play the next song totally different language, but it accomplished the same yes. exact thing. But if you're using a database uh, and has to somehow 
do a search for any possible as opposed to being able to take whatever language is there and then code that into something that all makes sense. Because we might have, uh, you know, 500 people who all were asking for better customer service, but the ways that they say it could be using words like lousy or could be better or, and what does all that mean? Yes. Yeah. So AI can help standardize all those different responses into something that you can actually analyze really quickly in a form of a dashboard. And then you can make uh, quick decisions based on that. So it helps yeah. you with, with making decisions with vast amounts of data, data that otherwise yeah. would be very, very difficult to, to manage um, yeah. and, and provide insights. And so some of those insights can be maybe new ways of serving your customer, new products, new uh, innovations that are available there. If you can at least hear what people are wanting and then get the human beings to do that thing that human beings do and get creative and figure out some solutions. Yeah, and companies like Ocean Spray actually use such insights for new product innovation. So they realized that um, how consumers were using cranberry juice. And based on that understanding, they created new product lines to address the underlying need. So you can do a lot of things once you can understand what people are saying um, at a large scale. And right now that has been up until we get, and I know many businesses are using these, but if you haven't been, you're relying on more intuition, gut feel, Correct. Um, experience, yeah. which may be accurate, but may also be very limited mm -hmm. depending on, on what you're coming from. You know, it's a, we all know that that leader who saw one social media comment and then went off the rails trying to solve for that one person when there are 500 other people who also said things. Yeah, there are many such use cases where, I mean, not just for new product innovation, but to even improve your customer experience. So you want to know how you can be better, really. And you can't just look at one data point. You need to look at 500 data points or thousands of data points to understand where you are not delivering. I remember in the book, you share an example of a, a hospital who used that kind of analysis uh, for their patient experience. Mm -hmm. Yes, and they did not have um, engagement surveys. So they went out and used reviews on the web from different websites. And in isolation, those reviews don't mean anything. But once you aggregate them, summarize the common themes, then you start seeing patterns, like why this hospital has been having negative reviews. And then you can um, investigate issues in the operations to see like why were the staff uh, rude to patients. So you can investigate things like that. Finding, finding the meaning in those big stacks of data again. Big stacks of data, yeah. And on other opportunities that you talk about are, so those are like uh, with regard to customers, right? So innovations for, for products or services, uh, customer experience, patient mm -hmm. experience. But you can also use this kind of technology internally to better serve employees and better understand employees. And I think this is a great application for leaders as well. Correct. Because we collect a lot of data from employees, like 360 feedback. Um, you get complaints uh, from employees to HR. Um, you, ha you have this employee engagement surveys. So a lot of the data is actually unstructured. 
and in isolation, they don't make sense. But when you put them all together and you start analyzing them, that's when you start seeing patterns. And that will give you hints on what you can improve within the company. And then on the flip yeah. side, as you implement initiatives, you can actually start to see, are we changing things and are things improving? Correct. Because you can repeat the same analysis year over year or every few years and see where how things are shifting. So Kavita, your book is, uh, it's really a roadmap that's it's straightforward it's compelling it gives gives the reader the information and resources that they need without getting bogged down in data science or jargon like and i think you'll get this listeners you've been listening to uh kavita talk and you can read this book and understand it without needing a graduate degree in computer science or anything like that so it's it's very practical it's very readable and where you you go after we've been talking about some of the myths mm -hmm. and we talk about um, where some of the applications, you spend a lot of time walking the reader through how you build a successful AI approach and, and how to use it effectively and um, what they should be doing or, or thinking about. And so, mm -hmm. um, and obviously I want people to, to, who are interested in this to, to go and get the book, but I wonder if you could um, highlight for us some of the things that if you're thinking about using these software approaches to do this kind of work and all the benefits that it can give you, like, like you've shared with us, what are some of the things we need to be thinking about as we go down that road? Yeah. So the first thing is you, when you're thinking about AI, you need to be sure that you're using AI for the right problems. So that's the first step. And the way to be thinking about that is AI systems are they are perfect for high workload tasks, something that you do re re repetitively over a period of time. And it's not just repetitively, but it also should be a complex decision-making task. So for example, in customer service, you may be having somebody manually route tickets to the correct department so that the tickets can be resolved. And this is in effect a complex task because you have to read the ticket and then make the decision. And so you want to ensure that there is such complexity involved. If it's just something really simple, like just two rules, if it has word A and word B, then route it to this particular department, then it's not a complex task. It can be um, automated with very simple software engineering. So and you'll really see benefits from AI when you use it for the right problem. Otherwise it becomes a really expensive uh, investment. Um, so that's the first thing. And once you've found these opportunities, another thing that you need to think about is the data because AI systems require um, data for development. So if there isn't an off the shelf solution that you can use, then you'll have to develop from scratch. So to develop from scratch, you definitely need some data. And if you've been doing this problem manually for years, then maybe the data will already be there. But if it's a brand new problem, it's unlikely the data will be there. So you'll have to invest resources to acquiring the data for development. So that's the first step. And making sure, as we said earlier, that you've got 
healthy data that's not that's representative that's not biased that's not included biased yep. yeah yeah mm-hmm. and that you're building in the the checks the um the analysis as you get these systems up and running that they are actually doing what you hope they'll do and not having unintended consequences and that they're working the way they're intended yes and the and once you have those pieces in place the next step is actually frame the initiative because you want to see that is it really worth developing a solution so understand the pain points that um this ai is going to solve and what are the benefits short term benefits long term benefits and then come up with metrics that you can use to measure once you've deployed the systems so all of this has to happen before any sort of development is done because unless you understand this once you start developing and deploying then you're not going to know how to measure the success or what it's really doing for your business and this is where a lot of times my clients call me so they would have developed a solution they would have plugged it in then they're not sure what's going on so then we have to peel back the layers to figure out what what actually the ai is doing for them absolutely yeah. you know and it strikes me that that's the that element that you just described is incumbent on any leader, any kind of solution you're implementing. And it can be as simple as, uh, you know, figuring out how five people are managing their vacation time (laughs) with one another up to, you know, managing a a customer set of 5 million data points. All of it comes down to knowing what you're trying to achieve, establishing good success criteria, getting enough voices and stakeholders in the room. So those are robustly, uh, uh, created and really representative of everyone who who needs to have a voice in that, and then creating ways to evaluate what you're doing so that you are ensuring that you have a good solution. Mm-hmm. And so that process it sounds very similar to any good problem solving process. So we shouldn't get we shouldn't get what's the word I'm looking for dazzled by the radiance, yes. the bright and shininess of of artificial intelligence. Because it's a tool, like any it's other tool, business yeah. tool. Yeah, but what happens in practice is I've seen this over and over again. People have bright ideas and they go straight into development. And then they're not sure who's going to consume the solution or how they're going to deploy it. So I'm not sure why this happens a lot with AI, or maybe it happens with other projects as well. But I've seen this happen a lot with uh, my teams. I oh, it, it yeah. I think it happens a lot. I think it happens a lot to to leaders and managers and in, in every aspect. And uh, and it's under it's a human nature type of a thing. Is hopefully we'll teach the machines to think better than that right? <laughs> as, as they continue to do that, go down that yeah. road. All right. So uh, Kavita Ganasan, PhD, the business case for AI: A Leader's Guide for AI Strategies, Best Practices, and Real World Applications. Um, Kavita, where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? Yes, so the best place is my website, and that's where you can find my book, my newsletter, and all about me. It's uh, www.kavita, K-A-V-I-T-A, dash Ganesan, G-A-N-E-S-A-N.com. All right, and so I encourage you to go take a look, Get uh, take a look at the book, and if you are using and the reality is you are using, you're in contact with AI and artificial intelligence systems today, even if you're not aware of them or don't call them by that name, 
you probably have one sitting in your pocket right now. Yes. All right. So, uh, Kavita, before we go, I want to ask you a couple of, of questions looking at the future, if that's all right. And we have not prepped these. You don't know they're coming, but is that okay? Yes, sure. Yep. All right. So question number one, is that chatbot sentient, the one over at Google, in your no. opinion? No, absolutely not. Not. Absolutely not. <laughs> no hesitancy at all. I love it. Okay. Will it ever be? Maybe in 20, 30 years, but I am not positive. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. 20 to 30 years till we reach the singularity and we have sentient AI. All right. And I, I, that we're writing that down. Uh, no, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Okay. Uh, seriously, though, what excites you most about the next five to 10 years of artificial intelligence? I mean, you are so steeped in this world. You're helping Fortune 500 clients do this work and implement these systems. As you look at the future, what's exciting you? I think companies have barely scratched the surface when it comes to using AI for practical business problems. They're just framing their mindset now to see things in a more practical perspective. They've been very um, hooked on the research side and techniques. So in the next five to 10 years is when I think there's going to be a lot of AI applications in healthcare, in manufacturing, um, and you will actually see this and start to hear about these a lot more. And I'm excited to be um, a part of that. And, you know, and I know you're listening, so you can't yeah. see uh, Kavita smile, but she has a smile because she's optimistic about the future and what's what's possible here. Um, when, when you look at that future and you have, clearly you have that optimism, um, what do you think ultimately will improve in our world, in our work world, in our customer experiences? Um, what do you think that the, as we get 10, 5, 10 years down the road, what do you think is possible in terms of our experience as human beings? That's a tough question. Um, so I would say a lot of the menial tasks, a lot of the research work that we have been doing manually we will not be doing that as much anymore. We'll be supported by AI systems. So there, there are even tools like um, that kind of write the document for you, a template for a blog post now uh, using AI. So there'll be many, many more tools like that that will give you the template to start off. So we are going to be a lot more efficient um, in our work. And... Um, I think that's where we are really headed. And the AI systems to help you code faster, the AI systems to help you write blogs faster. So you'll see a lot more of that in also very specific domains like healthcare, manufacturing, retail. So a lot of that. All those different different areas mm -hmm. and applications. All right. All right. My final question. And uh, completely, you can answer any way you want on this one. Your favorite depiction of an artificial intelligence in any movie, TV show, or book? I, Robot. I, Robot. All right. Yeah. Go to Asimov. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So we've got the three robot laws, and anybody yes. who knows, knows the series, you know about the zero law. So we'll be careful about that one. All right. Kavita, thank you so much for being a guest on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul today. Yes. Thank you for having me, David. It was a pleasure being here. All right. Well, the pleasure was ours. And so listeners, as you are thinking about your own work with 
AI in the time to come, whether you're using it now for your business intelligence or you're thinking about how you might to be aware of those myths, realize that, yeah, we're not all going to lose our jobs to recognize it's there's always an element of inaccuracies that we're managing that and being um, careful about the data and particularly solving for biased data and not creating systems that replicate some of the problems in, in uh, the human beings have in our thinking and ways of doing things. Being aware of that and implementing those and testing for the results and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.